the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. What were you doing when you were eight years old? Playing, you know. My earliest memories probably stem from about... About that time, I don't remember a lot before I was eight years old. I remember one time I was living in a Shaw, in a, a Shaw Mississippi, on a house on the 61 Highway with my mom and dad. And uh, for some reason, my mama had this big elephant ear plant with a stalk about that big around. And I went and got a steak knife out of the kitchen <laughs> and just sawed it down. <laughs> That's the kind of thing you do when you're eight years old, right? Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't have to. It's just what I felt like doing. My mama come in there. She said, what the world? Who did this? And I'm the one with the knife, but I'm the one running from mama. She chases me around that house. And uh, she couldn't catch me because I was eight years old. I ran outside and she yelled at my daddy who was out in the yard working on a car or something. He said, you better get that boy. He's done this. Emery, he's done this. And she's yelling at him like it's his problem. He's looking like, what the world? He and and as he always did, he said, "What'd you do, boy?" You know, he tried to make it look good in front of Mama. Get in a truck. We got in a truck, and as soon as he got in the truck, he didn't even say nothing else about it. That's what Mama used to call him all the time on me. I'm gonna call your daddy, and I'd get on the phone. He says, "What you done done now, boy?" And I said, well, "I did this. I did this." He said, uh, and then he'd say, "Well, me and your uncle Dicky, we went duck hunting the other day." You know, it's, it's like he didn't really care. Mama thought he cared. You know. Daddy put me in the truck. We went down to the corner store, and he bought me my first beer at eight years old. <laughs> Slips malt liquor. He said, you're old enough now, boy. <laughs> Not good, but seriously. Later that year, my mom and dad got a divorce. or That was when they told me they were getting a divorce. So that was my earliest memory. Me and mama... And my little brother, who was two years old, we jumped in a yellow Chevy Vega we had at the time, and we drove to Memphis. And I, and I was raised here in Memphis from eight years old. Uh, no big deal. But uh, there's a king in, in the Bible named Josiah in Second Kings. When he was eight years old, he became the king of an entire nation. My memories barely go back to eight years old. How would I rule a kingdom at eight years old? And you know, my mom and dad had split up and everything, and that was traumatic. But his dad had just been assassinated. His dad. And his granddad had ruled and reigned in Judah for 55 years. His name was Manasseh. And you're talking about the worst king ever. I'm talking about the Bible says that this guy, it's got a whole page on what the things that this guy did. He set up worship of idols all throughout the nation. He even in the temple of God set up pagan idols to worship. 
He took one of his sons, his own sons, and sacrificed him in the fire to the false god Molech. This guy was evil. He had bloodshed throughout his, his territory. Just killing people indiscriminately and randomly at whatever whim because back then the kings could do whatever they wanted to do. And he was so evil that God, I don't know why God did not strike him down. But he promised that <laughs> there was retribution coming. And so when Manasseh finally died, his son Ammon became king and that was Josiah's dad. And he tried to take after Manasseh. He, he was right on the same boat trying to just be as evil and do what he wanted to do, but he didn't last two years. The people of the nation were just finally fed up by then. They said, we're killing this guy. They killed him, and they put Josiah at eight years old on the throne. That's, could you imagine at eight years old, and you have the power to kill people if you want to? Nobody wants to play Monopoly with this kid, believe me. <laughs> But I don't know. There had to be somebody in Josiah's life, maybe like our children's church teachers, somebody spoke into Josiah's life that, look, there is a true God. There is one God. Somebody told him about the God of his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because the Bible says Josiah, from eight years old, was a good king. He began to try to do right. And so the first thing he did when he's in his early 20s or so, he says, what about this temple to God over here that we have just let lie desecrated? Let's begin to fix this thing up. He didn't know what to do, but he says, let's, let's see how much money we got in the treasury and let's pay some carpenters to get to restore the temple because his heart was to do for God. And so as, I don't know what the priest of the temple was doing during this time, but he had lost the word of God. <laughs> sort of reminds me of Joseph and Mary, you know, they lost Jesus during the Passover. This guy had lost the word of God. He's supposed to be the priest and he doesn't even know the scriptures exist. And he's, they're going through this temple that has been just used as a garbage dump and for all these idols and false worship. And he finds the Holy Scriptures. And he said, oh, what's this? Can you imagine a man of God finally finding the Holy Scriptures? Imagine that. They were in the temple. And so he brings it to King Josiah. And says, look what we found. And King Josiah reads the words of the Scriptures. And he tears his clothes. And he said, oh my gosh. We have done nothing that this Word says. God must be so angry at us. What must we do? Well, you could go on and read the story. It's in what? Second Kings 22 through like 25, the story of Josiah or whatever. But Josiah set out on a campaign to turn things around. To turn the whole situation around. To do things God's way. He began to tear down the idols. He removed all that stuff out of the temple burned it crushed it to powder brought it out to the Kidron Valley and dumped it and, and burned dead men's bones and put it on top just to make sure that 
that he was desecrated, these false idols and false gods and all these things. And Josiah returned to the Word of God. You see, the Word of God had not ceased to exist. It had just ceased to be sought. Are you listening? The Word of God was always in the house of God, but it, they had lost sight of it. And no matter which temple you're seeking to restore in your life, whether it's your temple, your body, like Amber was talking about, she wants to get her mind and her heart right. She's seeking to restore her temple. Or no matter if it's this temple, our house, that we're seeking to, to build the house of God up here as an individual, or the the nation in which we live, we're trying to restore. See, Josiah was trying to restore all those. His heart, the church, and the nation. No matter what temple you're trying to restore, you're going to have to return to the Word of God. You've got to return to the Word of God because that's how restoration is done. Romans 10.8 says, what saith it? The Word. The Word is nigh thee. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is. The Word of faith which we preach. We're in a, a series called Never Alone. And today's message, we're calling it, The Word is Nigh Thee. You're never alone. This Word is nigh thee. It hadn't ceased to exist. Maybe you just haven't sought it. But it is your connection. You are not alone as long as you have one of these. What do you see when you look at the Bible? That'll tell me a lot about your life. What do you see? Just a book? What role does this book play in your Christianity. What role does it play in, in your relationship with Jesus? How do you see it? A wise man will search the Bible to find his way. But what he will find is the way. He will find the way, the truth, and the life. You search this Word to find wisdom, but you find the Creator of all wisdom Himself. Our lives are hidden with God in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. I don't know how that works. We're one with Him. He's one with us. And, and it's all a oneness. It's in the Spirit. Spiritual things, we, we, it's hard for us to grasp. Our lives is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. There's a oneness. But there's also our lives hidden with God in Christ Jesus' Word. Your life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus' Word. Your life is in here. I don't know what books you're reading to figure out your life, but this is the one you should be reading. <laughs> First John. No, I'm, let's start with just John 1. 1. The Apostle John, in his gospel, the very first thing he says is in the beginning, the Word already existed. 
The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That'll make you scratch your head. How can the Word be God? Verse 14, it says, and the, and the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we know the one who became flesh and dwelt among us is Jesus. Revelations 19.3, I think it is, calls Jesus the Word of God. And then in the, the Apostle John, in, in his first letter, not his first gospel, in 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, Says it like this, we saw him with our eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Jesus is the word. Hebrews 12.2 says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Because he's the author. I, don't, I can't explain how Jesus is this word. Does it just mean it's his thoughts, his opinions, his ways? The Old Testament is Jesus Christ concealed. The New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. How is Jesus the Word? I don't know exactly what it means, but I know it means that I got to keep my eyes on Jesus. Because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He wrote the story of your life. And how are you going to live it if you can't see it? If you're not seeing it? When I see this Bible, or any Bible, I'm not... I'm not saying we worship a particular Bible or anything. I'm saying the words. When I see a Bible, I see a love letter from God. Oh yeah, it's basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E. I know it's our instruction manual, how to build our life, but I see it as so much more. It's a love letter that God wrote to you to reveal Himself. He revealed Himself in the face of Jesus Christ and He revealed Himself in the Word of Jesus Christ. Are you listening? Oh, y'all have heard all this before. Well, just go ahead and close. Probably the two biggest ways to thin out your church is start pre preaching on the Word of God and prayer. Has it come to that? I'm trying to stir you up today about what really truly matters. It's a love letter from God. People write love letters. Marie one wrote one to Jimmy. She said, Dear Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. And congratulations on winning the state lottery.
God's love letter's a little more genuine. <laughs> it's not some kind of lottery love that God's showing. It's written by the source of love Himself, the author of love. God is love. This book does more than... It transcends more. It's not just ink on paper. It is alive with God's Spirit. You don't know how transformative, transformative it is. It tells you, in, the, in these pages, it explains to you the links that God Almighty would go to save little bitty you. The things that He would give up and give, and give all for you. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. They don't understand it. But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. The message of the cross. You see, the message of the cross is, is revealed here in the words of Scripture. You see Jesus high and lifted up. You have to consider what God did for you. And it changes everything. Unless... You're an unbeliever, then it's foolishness to you. You don't believe it. You know, I tried to read the Bible before I was saved. Even as a kid, one of my earliest memories was trying to read the Bible. I started in Genesis several times. <laughs> Never got past Genesis in so long. And it it was had some interesting stories or whatever. And some of you, you've gotten saved. And you're trying to live a Christian life, but you're not reading the Word. Because you think back, well, I tried that a long time ago. But it was probably before you were saved. And see, spiritual things must be spiritually understood. You didn't have the Spirit of God back then, but you do now. Try again! Try again. It will become alive to you if you believe it. If you don't believe it, it's a fairy tale. It's foolishness to the unbeliever. But to you who believe it is the power of God and to salvation. <laughs> when Angie used to write me love letters when we were dating, I couldn't wait to read them. I mean, I'd tear the thing open. I try to, oh, I, I'll, get to, I'll get to you in a minute. I got to go read this. I got to get somewhere. I got to read this. What is my love saying to me? And I got a question I wrote down. If Angie had written me love letters and I didn't take the time to read them, what would you surmise? Selah. That's a word used in the Psalms. It means pause and think on this. If Angie had written me love letters, but I didn't bother or take the time to read it, what would you surmise? I just challenge you guys to see this Bible differently. I believe God is challenging you 
to see this Bible differently. Okay, so maybe you've had some run-ins with it. You didn't understand it before. King James threw you for a loop, this or that. There's a billion excuses I've heard. But would you open your heart and your mind today to say, I'm going to try again. I've been duped by the enemy and I recognize it. He's, he's, he's stolen the Word of God from my life. The Word of God is not just, it's not enough just to hear me preach it on Sundays. Read it like you believe it and watch what happens. Read it with anticipation. Read it not because you have to, not as a chore, but read it because you want to. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. Discover God's word again. He said, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the source of your joy is His Word. No wonder we're walking around defeated and dejected as Christians. Half-hearted. Can't seem to even get up on Sundays. Come on, guys. God will not allow His Word to be forgotten or destroyed. If you're filling out your blanks, that's one of them. God will not allow His Word to be forgotten or destroyed. You know, He took faithful monks and scribes and poor fellows that spent their whole life just copying the words of Holy Scriptures so that we would never run out of a copy. This is back before the printing press. They hand-wrote on leather parchments and stuff for a living. In fact, when it's, it's said when they wrote the King James Bible that they translated it so tightly from the original Hebrew and Greek that at, if, if one of the translators missed one letter, it would be at the price of his life. And miraculously, old manuscripts of the Scriptures are still surfacing to even today. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in Israel in 1946. The Dead Sea Scrolls date back to way back to 150 B.C. before Christ. And are written between that time period and 70 A.D., which is when most of the Scriptures were written, the, the New Testament as we know it. And they were found in a cave by some shepherd boys in Israel. Isn't that neat that the shepherds found it? And the odd thing is, is Israel wasn't even a nation in 1946. It wasn't until 1948. That they came back together after 2,000 years as a nation. And guess what? The Word of God was discovered right along with that. You begin to restore the things of God. You, must need, you need the Scriptures and God makes sure that they're there. Just as He did for Josiah. Isn't that awesome? The nation of Israel was restored in 1948 and the Word was discovered again. Don't Don't fear. The Bible will never disappear. It's not going anywhere. 
They've tried to burn it, outlaw it, belittle it, disprove it. And you could cover Horn Lake a mile high with other books that's been written to try to marginalize the Bible. But guess what? It has stood the test of time. The scrutiny of all the haters, and it has waited patiently for science to catch up with it. (laughs) All these scientists, all these volumes of so-called man wisdom have been written. Libraries full of books to disprove they couldn't happen. But the more they search, the more the archaeologists dig, the more science finds out, the, the bigger telescopes that we come up with, it all points to this thing is true. And this thing is eternal. And this thing is right. And they cannot disprove it. It's not going anywhere. Jesus said in Matthew twenty four thirty five, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. <laughs> the Bible still remains the bestseller of all times. And why? Because it's in our heart to want to read the love letter from God. It's in our heart to want to hear the words of God. It's it's in us. And people, hungry people that are reaching out to God, trying to rebuild their lives, will always discover the Word again. They'll always reach back out for the Word. People write letters. They ain't always good. King David. We always think of him as the one who killed Goliath and did all these great things, but he wrote a letter one time. And he gave it to a man named Uriah. Uriah was his right-hand man, a trusted soldier, valiant, would have gladly laid down his life a hundred times for King David. A valiant warrior. But Uriah had been off to battle. And David had stayed home. And David had slept with Uriah's wife in his absence. Mm. David called Uriah in and he tried, knowing that he had impregnated Uriah's wife, he tried to get Uriah to come home and sleep with his wife so that he would think that the child was his and he could cover up his sin. But Uriah would not sleep with his wife. He said, I'll not sleep with, I'll not come home and sleep with my wife while my men are on the battlefield. He was impeccable character. And David said, I don't know what I can do with this guy. And so, in a desperate attempt to just cover up the mess that he had made, he wrote a letter to his general, Joab, and said, Joab, I want you to send Uriah to the fiercest part of the battle on the front lines and then I want you to withdraw the men and leave him to be killed. And he folded that ugly letter up and he handed it to Uriah to carry back to Joab. Knowing that Uriah was so faithful that he would not even read the letter. A letter that sentenced him to death. And I want you to know, each one of us was carrying a letter that we were sentenced to death. 
But I want you to know God wrote a better letter. God writes better letters than, than men folk do. And God has given you a, a letter that it sentences you to life instead of death. Amen. A new life. An abundant life. Life better than you have ever imagined, dreamed, or thought. It's not entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them who love Him. And it starts with His love letter. 1 Peter 1.23 says, For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. This is your source of life. What does it say? Because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. This Word is alive. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. Marrow's inside the bone. This word gets inside your bones. Jeremiah 29 says, But if I say I'll never mention the word, the Lord or speak His name, His words burn like a fire. It's a fire shut up in my bones. That's what Jeremiah was talking about when he says there's a fire shut up in my bones. It's the Word of God and i got to speak it. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. You speak the word of life and you live life. This word, the power of life is in the tongue. Life and death. And we speak all these things, but God says, read my word, let it plant in your heart and speak it out of your mouth so that you may live. Same way you got saved, right? You believed the word of God and you spoke. I want you to watch a, a grainy video. Uh, but I think you'll get it. I think you'll get the point. Cut the volume on, please. These are Chinese getting their first Bibles ever. I like what you did, brother. I believe he just stood to honor the Word of God. Can we stand to honor the Word of God for a moment? Yeah. 
You can be seated. You say, Pastor, why are you so emotional about a, a book? This book has changed my eternal destiny in my life and everything in my life. All the relationships in my life, my family, my purpose, everything. This book has changed everything. I'm going to break it down to you. I didn't give Lisa the scriptures that I'm about to share because I'm going to be going so fast that her fingers won't be able to keep up. You might can jot them down or you might just need to listen to the podcast later. But I'm going to share with you why the Bible is vital to you. First, you begin to see yourself through God's lenses. The book of James says this word is like a mirror. You look into it and see what manner of man or what manner of woman that you ought to be. Secondly, you're nourished by the word. Jesus says, We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It feeds our faith. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It feeds our faith. It's our key to answered prayer. John 15, 7, Jesus says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want. And it will be granted. A person who stays in the Word can be trusted with the blessings of God. It strengthens our spirit and it heals our flesh. Proverbs 4.22 says it's health to all our flesh. We're cleansed by the Word of God. Ephesians 5.26 says we're washed by the cleansing of God's Word. And it warns us of dangers ahead. Aren't you tired of stepping into every trap of the enemy? Psalms 119.105 says it's a light unto our path so that we can see, so that we can walk with God and stay out of the mess. It defeats the devil. Psalms 119.11 says I have hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you, God. And how are you going to defeat the devil but by not sinning? It lifts our burdens in Psalms 119.28. says, my soul melteth with heaviness. Are you feeling heavy? Has the world just pressing down on you and seems, I can't carry this weight. Well, well, strengthen me according to thy word, it says. This is the strength to lift the burdens in your life. It's the source of wisdom and absolute truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. gives us courage God told Joshua be strong and of good courage for the Lord your God is with you whether soever thou goest but before he told him that he said meditate on the word day and night meditate on the word day and night it builds courage it gives hope Romans 15 4 says in the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled and it brings forth fruit In our lives. And that is our purpose is to produce fruit for God down here. Psalms 1 verse 2 says, But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. And their leaves will never wither, and they will prosper in all that they do. Don't you want to prosper? 
Don't you want to produce fruit? It brings freedom. Jesus said in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I'm tired of being held captive by all the lies and the destruction that the devil has done to this thing between my ears. I'm ready to be free. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Psalm 16, 11 says, you will show me the path of life. And in thy presence is fullness of joy. <laughs> and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence is pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. This word is our source for the joy. Because in it where we meet with Jesus. And you thought it was just a, a, a something sitting on your coffee table taking up space. Nope. We're never alone because we have the Word of God. If we understand what this Word is, it's in our laps, but it should be in our heart. If we get it in our heart, we'll speak it out of our mouth. If we get it out of our mouth, we'll begin to see it in our lives. There's a progression. Read the Word of God. Many of you have seen this little love note that I got from Angie over 26, 7 years ago. I carried it in my billfold for 20-something years, probably 25 years until it turned pink. It was originally red on white paper, and it was falling apart. I had kept it in my billfold, and it got wet so many times. But I was carrying a little piece of Angie with me. A piece of her love with me. I even laminated it. And now I don't keep it in. It's too big to keep in my billfold because I can't fold it up. But I keep it here in my folder. As a reminder of, of the love that we share. And that likewise my Bible is my constant reminder of how much God loves me. And that I'm never alone. His Word is new and fresh to me every time I open it. He speaks to me through His Word. So many people say, I don't know God's will for my life. I don't know the plans. I, I don't hear from God. But they don't read the Word of God. You open up to one scripture you have just heard from God. And it's not just a, a one-time letter you read it and you and that's it. You come back to it next time. The Spirit of God is alive. It's sharp. It's ready to speak to you fresh again. It speaks to your spirit, man. Not just to your head. Josiah not only discovered the Word but he decided to live the word. And in 2 Kings 23, verse 25, it says, Never before had there been a king like Josiah. Now David had been king before Josiah. I thought he was the greatest. Or what about Solomon? I thought he was the greatest king. He was the wisest and the richest. But it says here, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart, his soul, and his strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there's never been a king like him since. 
with the exception of the King of Kings, of course. Josiah was just eight years old. The best he had to go on was maybe a Sunday school lesson or two. But his heart was to do the will of the Lord. And once he discovered the will of the Lord, he did the will of the Lord. And that's all God's asking of any of us. Rediscover your relationship and the love letter God has written you. Find yourself in the words of these scriptures. Speak it out of your mouth and watch the power of God bring it to pass in your life. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.